0: Hey there, welcome to the Late to Grid podcast. This is your host, Bill Snow, and I share the stories and inspiration that I hope will grow grassroots racing. In this episode, I sit down with Chip Manuel, who's an autocrosser from Northern Ohio. Chip not only shares his motorsports background with us, but shares some awesome autocross advice for those that are at any level of autocrossing, whether you're just getting started or looking to get faster at your events. Let's go ahead and throw the green flag on this episode. All right, well, as I mentioned, I'm here with Chip Manuel in the Atomic Autosports studio. We just spent the last 40 minutes trying to figure out uh, audio setups, and Chip, it's a good thing we're a lot better at autocross and car stuff, right?
1: Yeah, there's a reason I dropped out of engineering school. I'm just, (laughs) I'm
0: not good with technology. Well, at least we gave it a good try, and we're here, and we're uh, going to be talking about you and your motorsports background, so... Just going to start off by saying it's great to uh, sit down with you here. Yeah, likewise. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. So tell listeners a little bit more about who you are and what you do for a living.
1: Yeah, so I guess you can tell by my accent that I'm not from Northeast Ohio. So I'm originally from South Carolina, and let's see, God, but I've, I've lived all over the country. So I went to school at Clemson, then grad school at Colorado State the Moore grad school at NC State in Raleigh, um, where I would got a Ph.D. in food science. So I'm kind of a, my background's kind of hardcore science, but from more of a, I, I tell people I'm more of a microbiologist than anything, but I specialize in things that can get you sick, so. So I should be calling you doctor. You know, you don't have to call me Dr. Chip. <laughs> Dr. Chip. <laughs> yeah, but, but um, yeah, as far as career, when I finished my Ph.D. at the end of 2015, i Went in to work as a R&D microbiologist for a chemical company that supplies sanitation stuff for the food industry. Uh, Bounced around different roles within that company. Ultimately ended up here in 2019, here by Northeast Ohio, to work for Gojo, the -hmm. Purell people. So for the listeners, Gojo, funny name, but everyone knows Purell. That's the brand they created in 84. So I came on board as a scientist and a technical sales support. It's been about four and a half years there, and they had, I mean, frankly, they just got into some financial issues that I saw some cuts coming, and, and I left at the end of August last year, and now I work for Instacart. So I'm a kind of a regulatory strategist and compliance manager for the company on the food side. So I manage risk that's related to, you know... How they like, let's say they're going to implement a new strategic operation that involves the food world. Well, I consult with the business on, okay, this is the impact towards the food safety regulations. That's so, really cool. Yeah, so I've been in that role. I thought like just since in September, cart- people just went in the store and just threw stuff in a cart. There's more to it. There's more to it. Like <laughs> a lot of what I do is behind the scenes business models that have not yet come to fruition, but we do support the day to day business to some degree as well. And it's mostly retail partner driven so if they want to make a change to the program that triggers you know internal change that i get pulled in to consult with so it's a lot different than kind of the hardcore science i did for almost 10 years but it's i like it i mean honestly i mean i feel like i'm in greener pastures yeah oh that's awesome yeah so it's my background you're the second doctor we've had uh, matt
0: jones uh from tolo's trailer really he was a surgeon actually
1: but uh, so I've had a medical
0: doctor and a, you said microbiologist.
1: Yeah, food, food microbiology. So the way that like, so I started at Clemson as an engineer, engineering student for mechanical engineering, and it was hard. It was brutal. There's no way I was going to keep the state scholarships I had. So I was looking for another degree, another major to fit in in food science. I took a intro course and learned about the Guatemalan raspberry outbreak from '96. And I remembered that my grandmother was a part of that outbreak. So she was one of the impacted people that got sick from it. And it was like, it just like kind of made me really interested in that field. And so the next 11 years or 10 years or whatever, I spent in the academic world studying food microbiology. That's very, very interesting. So the, the real smart people I've had, like
0: you on this podcast, are able to take their engineering background and apply it to stuff they do in the car, is there anything from your background you're able to apply to the car or
1: you're driving? You know, I think when you spend seven years of grad school studying, you know, a very tiny slice of the science, of of a broader field of science, so for me it was norovirus, that was my area of expertise, so I've published a number of papers on this, a lot of hours at the bench studying this, and you get really good at data analysis fishing out useful data from non-useful data and so i think that's kind of where i excel at or that that's that's the carryover to the racing world now admittedly that's in a racer's journey data analysis and data acquisition that's a little bit further than the beginners but that's really kind of where i feel like that background has the analytical background is going to help great yeah so how did you get started in motorsports and racing I guess you could say I was more of a car guy first. So in middle school in the 90s, my dad was, he built a factory five Cobra replica. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I think he was one of the first people in the country to have it. So I think it was the mark one. So for about four years, he spent building that thing and, and I just, it just kind of rubbed off on me, you know, going out there, helping wrench on the thing you know riveting panels and so forth um and then fast forward to when i was in high school this was right before when fast and furious blew up so my first car was a miata um 96 miata montego blue still miss that thing Mm -hmm. but um you know all a lot of my friends were into the car world and a a good friend was his brother was a part of this car club called high-tech Motorsports. this was in the in the mid early to mid two thousands, they grew to a peak of about three to four hundred members across South Carolina and North Carolina. But they would do dragon trips, mountain cruises, autocross track days. They do the show stuff. I mean, it was like everything, right? And I just I really fell in love with the autocross stuff because I had a I felt like I had a little bit of a natural talent to it, and so that's kind of how I got into the motorsports. So, this was, you know, that import hype era in the early 2000s, right Right before Fast and Furious. So, so that that's kind of. Um, and then I, you know, I dabbled in autocross for a couple of years at Clemson and then just sort of fell out of it and got into competitive powerlifting. And I did that for the next 12 years as my main hobby. And so, really, from like 06 to 2019, 2020, I really didn't do any motorsports. So so while I do have, you know, in my younger years, I, I did a lot of events or a handful of events. It really wasn't until about three years ago when I got into it full time. All
0: right, Chip, so three years ago, what was the big
1: change that said, i got to get back into this? Mm, well, I've, I moved up here in 2019 and I had a Fiesta ST. And, um, you know, I, I, I think late 2019 I did a couple it, – it, Ohio events um at the old captain's lot and then the following season in 2020 i remember going out to um an event at dragway in my fiesta and that fiesta was like i had like modified it to the gills you know like upgraded differential bigger turbo ethanol tune i mean and i thought i was going to go to this event and just you know clean house (laughs) well national competitor Alex Peel comes over in a basically stock fiesta and just destroyed me (laughs) and so from that day I was just like I really had a desire to get to where they they were right to that that kind of level of driving and so that's kind of what lit a fire in it in me and that year I bought my FRS um, converted it to solo spec coupe which at the time was the only spec autocross class and then you know, 2021 onward, that's when I, you know, full, full season. So 35 events, 35 local events, maybe five national events a year. That's kind of typically what I do. Um, So that's, that's kind of what lit a fire in me, right? It was just getting, getting creamed by a stock Fiesta when I had this, I I just couldn't believe like, why am I getting beat so bad? And then, you know, it was just the desire to, to, build a better driver mod right so uh
0: what are some of the highlights those three years from like 2020 to, to now that um
1: stick out for you i mean i definitely made improvement each year um there's a lot of learning between the years um it really wasn't until this past season 2023 that i felt like i was really starting to come in like mature as a driver now, in, in, for your listeners, it's you know, pretty much all that I do is autocross. You know, I haven't done track stuff in, in years. Um, but the thing, the thing that I felt like I've learned a lot last year um, really matured on my course walks. So the trick with autocross and what I like about it is each course is like a different puzzle. Right. Every car has a perfect path that's fastest, and you got to pick up on it quick on your course walk because in a national event, you get three runs. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so you have to execute on your first run. Um, And I felt like that part of my game plan really matured a lot over 2023. Um, And so highlights for me, you know, I went to solo nationals. I finished 21st out of 67 entrants in the SSC, solo spec coupe, which is historically, that's one of your – more well um attended classes at nationals i think it was number two this year behind d street but uh the previous two years you know i finished dead middle of the class so for me to be you know a couple spots out of the trophies that really cemented the progress i've made and then i finally got a a national tour trophy and got second place at an event in moultrie georgia at the end of last year and so you know I, i think that kinda of set the tone for twenty twenty four. I know we're gonna talk about what what are kind of my ultimate goals, but mm-hmm. so I'm I'm just ready to go. I'm like <laughs> I'm looking outside with all this snow and everything and I'm just like, Come on season, like when can we get going?
0: Yeah. So what what do you think helped with the with the track walks? What made those better? Um
1: I think really being able to visualize you you know so this is kind of getting into one of the topics later is it's what are some of the good pieces of advice for a beginner and one of them i always say is you know there's no replacement for seat time well if you go to a lot of events you get a lot of course walks and so you tend to see things similar elements from time to time but then over time you kind of learn what works what doesn't um And also focusing on course walks with those that are better than faster than me, which was also one of the other items I wanted to bring up today. Uh, That really helped. Right. So. um, I think that if I look back on on the season, that's kind of, you know, there are other things I got better at, like trusting the car's grip more, you know, staying in a little bit, um, a little bit hotter. You know, coming into elements a little bit faster than I typically would, allowing the rear to step out and being comfortable with that. But the course walk piece is probably the number one that that I improved on.
0: So, um, <clears throat> what was your favorite event from the year?
1: Oh boy, I think solo nationals is always a highlight because it's fifteen hundred people. <laughs> that's that's their that's around the entry cap I think. It's thirteen hundred or fifteen hundred. Anyway about 1500 people it's kind of like burning man meets autocross is how i (laughs) is how i hear it put so it's a lot of fun event from a social standpoint and the courses are just like the best courses you will ever drive on so that one's always a highlight uh for me and then i think probably the last two events i did in 2023 that that national event where i came in second in class and also we had a charlotte doubleheader which the central carolina region they put on a big two-day event that's more or less a national event that's not truly a national event um and i did really well in that i think i was third in the pro street index out of 20 something drivers so kind of goes back to what i said so i really finished on a high note and so i'm ready to carry that momentum into the into this season that's awesome nice job last season yeah
0: yeah absolutely what's your first event for 2024
1: <laughs> well it was going to be moultrie again but um, they pushed the date back another week and so sort of interferes with the work trip so mm-hmm. my season will start in at the end of april so charlotte's going to have their national tour at z max drag strip which is right by the stadium there the uh, speedway so i'll go down for that event and so hopefully i'll get you never know with ohio weathers so hopefully i'll have a k- test tune or Two to shake off the rust before that, but um, that's as of right now, that's kind of that's the one on the radar to start with. And I'm gonna guess you drive the car there, yep, yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, I've got so I race the sign FRS and solo spec coupe, and I've got some some work items I need to, to get done before the season. Um, I'd like to replace the ignition system because they they my car is a 2013 and in 2015 they issued an update to the system that's legal for for use in in autocross because it's um you know it came out via technical service bulletin mm-hmm. but really the advantage is just it if i to the system it'll it won't kill the the coils as fast as <laughs> as the earlier system so if i can get that done before april then yeah i'll drive the car down if not i'll co-drive with a friend and You know, the nice thing about Sola Spec Coupe is all of the cars, apart from a few alignment tweaks, they drive more or less the same. Mm -hmm. Um, And we're a pretty tight-knit class with an SECA, so finding the co-drive is not too difficult, right? Right.
0: Is it a spec tire as well?
1: It is. So Falcon, is ZNS RT660, that's the tire we Mm -hmm. use. Essentially, for the listeners Mm -hmm. that may not be aware solo spec coupe is it's a pretty simple class concept it's 2013 to 2016 frs or brz you've got coney shocks box springs box sway bars and then uh rear control arms to do the alignment front camber bolts to do the alignment and then you have to run wheels that are 17 by 8 with the falcon azenus tire um Power mods are not mandatory. You can do a cat-back or an air filter, but you know you have to run the entire spec suspension to be eligible. Mm. So, um, and everyone's setup is pretty much the same. Um, you know, with a, with a few little tweaks, like what's your toe preference in the rear and so forth, alignment tweaks. But but um, it's a it's a real meat grinder of a class because it attracts a lot of really good drivers like really talented drivers i bet so yeah and it's and if you ever look at some of the results at nationals like for example this year your nationals is the two-day event you've got your day one course and your day two course three shots at each and they add your your time right day one peter Schnorr, who's from around here is a still cities guy but he'll he comes to events around here he was ahead by maybe two or three-tenths, I can't recall. And then from second to 25th was like a two-tenth or three-tenth spread. I can't remember the exact, but, I mean, you had like ten spots separated by a tenth.
0: So Unbelievable.
1: It's a, yeah, it is mind-blowing how close that class is, and that's why I was attracted to it, because I wanted to take the car out of the equation. I wanted to really focus on developing those driver skills. Right.
0: So how many events total do you think you'll do this
1: year? Um, I did my calendar recently. I think probably around thirty-five local events, eight or nine national events. So, um, I don't travel as much with this new role, and it's a lot more flexible. Which is mm-hmm. so most of my vacation time will be spent this year, really hitting it hard. You know, I'm kind of motivated by how I finished last year. I'd like to to really make this the best year ever, and so that's why i'm focusing on that seat time wow so
0: what are some of the things you're doing now to make sure that you're prepared for when that starter sends you through the course
1: Hmm. I, so i'm a little unusual in that in the off season i might do a couple karting dates to keep the rust off but i don't do any sim racing I, I, i'm kind of um kind of tight on space in my my small apartment so i don't i don't do sim racing right now but yeah, karting kind of helps keep off the rust. It kind of, I think karting really helps you more from just kind of a mental preparedness standpoint. Plus you um, get the quick switchbacks on the indoor karting. Yeah. Yeah, it it, it kind of keep your muscle memory alive a little bit. Um, So I'll, I'll do that, but really it's the first test in tunes. So, you know, they may happen in March or April. We're not really sure. Dep- it's all weather dependent here mm-hmm. in Northeast Ohio, but... You know, those are those are the events, those tests and tunes. I'll do twenty, thirty runs just to shake off the rust because the car is set. Like I don't, I don't tweak anything with the, the the spec car. Like it's it's a really good setup that I'm comfortable with. It's just I've got it to shake off the rust at these events.
0: Right. These tests and tunes. Good deal. Um, so, what's some of the best motorsports advice you've received?
1: Hmm. Can I separate it by beginner level and and I think that's a great idea. Okay, so I'll, I'll, let's start with some some concepts from a beginner standpoint. And I think the first one is, and I've alluded to it already in our conversation, but and it really applies to any competitive sport. And that's uh, if you want to get better, compete with those that are better than you. All right. So my competitive powerlifting days, the training group I my train went they're way stronger than me but they had skin in the game 10 15 years experience and a lot of that stuff rubbed off on me it's the same with autocross um, or any motorsport so you know a good example around here is the seal cities region is kind of known for being some pretty fast autocross drivers i think at any point their event will have 10 to 15 national um trophy winner and national you know jacket winners um, at at their events, and that that kind of that talent kind, you know, being around them rubs. You can't help but it rub off on you to some some degree. You know, tips when you tips when you do a course walk with them, and so forth. So, so I'd say that's a really good uh, thing for beginners in their motorsports journey to to remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, second thing is actually what Matt spoke about at one of your past Matt Harbert at one of your past podcasts, you know, don't mod the heck out of your car, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, there's truth to that, right? Like, I came into that one event years ago thinking, oh, I got this big bad Fiesta, I'm just going to mop house. No. No, I like the mods, they don't carry you, right? So, um, focusing on the driver mod, you know, it's like everything in life. You focus on the big wins and the number one thing you can do if you want to be a better driver and go faster on course, it's to focus on the driver and the concepts. Um, I think there may be one exception, and that's tires. Some people differ on this. You know, I, I personally feel like getting a competitive set of autocross tires ch- can change the, how the car feels and how the setup behaves. So you know, tires is one area where if you're going to start modding, yeah, go for the tires, right? Uh, and then the other piece is data acquisition. And, and I'm not just talking about like GPS and all that. Mm-hmm. Now, for a beginner, something as simple as a GoPro, right? Like recording the runs, being able to share it with friends that may be maybe faster than you can provide tips. Or maybe you can do a side-by-side with some of the other competitors from the same event and see how do their line differ, right? So... So, yes, those those two concepts, you know, being around those that are faster than you. Mm -hmm. And then don't really focus on modifying the heck out of your car. Work on the driver. Uh, And along with that, you know, have a simple data acquisition, such as a GoPro. That kind of can help. What do you use for data acquisition? So I use a unit called Race Capture, Mm -hmm. which you probably have heard of in it. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't work. But when it does, it's pretty It's pretty nice. So the race capture pulls GPS data. Also pulls off the um, ECUs, so with throttle, brake, uh, steering angle. Mm-hmm. Um, integrates with a, a software app called SoloStorms. Pretty popular in the autocross community. That's really just a data logger pulling different inputs from multiple devices and making it easy to visualize. So I use those two. In conjunction with the GoPro, that's I have it set to where it starts and stops. But um, mid-season last year, actually at the, at the uh, Pro Solo in July in Cleveland, it kind of stopped working, and I never was able to get it. Oh. So that that's on the list of the test and tune, Um to 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 make sure that is working for this season. And do you have that on your phone or a separate tablet? Yeah, so I run a dedicated. I have an old phone that I just repurpose as kind of the the central logger of mm-hmm. everything so everything connects to that via bluetooth uh, a lot of folks will run tablets because they're a little bit more powerful but you know, this was just something i had laying around that i repurposed but you, you know it's it's been immensely useful and i think when you're kind of at that intermediate level on your motorsports journey and you're able to co-drive with f- people that are faster than you, mm-hmm. that's really when you can make leaps and bounds at, um, that you're at your improvement on your driving, right? Because you can debrief with your co-driver after an event, look at exactly, okay, I lost a half second here to you and here's why. And you can actually put real data behind it. Um, so yeah, data acquisition definitely has its place, not for beginners, but definitely when you're when you're at the intermediate stage, right. So, and then do you have more advice for those that are, you know,
0: moving from novice or beginner to intermediate?
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of specific stuff I could talk about, but when I was thinking about what I wanted to speak to this today, I'm just thinking about what was impactful for me. So I think the first one is an element tackling an element that's in every single autocross course and that's a slalom Hmm. slaloms will make or break you this year our day two course started off with i think an eight cone slalom and i knew like i'm not gonna trophy because of this stupid (laughs) slalom and sure enough that's where i struggled to everyone else um on course and so i still need to work at work at slaloms but uh, I forget where I was, but someone told me the most important cone of a slalom is the first cone. And you really want to position your car, what they call backsiding that, that first cone. And what that means is you don't want to come in an angle where the front of your car is going parallel to it. Mm. You, it's, it's hard to visualize. It's hard to put in words for the listeners. But if your first cone of a slalom, you want to almost run over it with the back inside tire. That's where they get the term backside in. So mm-hmm. the whole concept here is if you can do that, you can shave distance throughout the entire slalom. So that you you often hear in the cue, attack the first cone, right? That's, mm-hmm. a, that's a cue I use for novices to, to teach them that. But that's a really easy way to get a novice to get through a slalom a half second quicker just by that one thing. Right, because you're already into the turn. Yep. Right? That's the, the theory there. Yep, it, it positions the car to be closer to the cones mm-hmm. so that your the amount of distance it takes to get through the entire slalom is minimized. That's essentially what it is. Ah. And that brings me to kind of my next um, piece of advice I got. You know, when you're walking course, a lot of times you might be looking at a turn and thinking, oh, if I just laid apex this and set up for it, I can carry more speed. A lot of times that really doesn't work on autocross course you're only you know you're barely getting 60 miles an hour on some of these courses um it's just a lot of times it's just not the majority of the time it's just not worth it to set up uh sacrifice distance for speed so what do i mean by that anytime you add distance on a course on an autocross course it's gonna it's gonna just kill you and so if you're ever if if you're ever in a situation where you're walking a course and you're thinking, oh, I don't really know where I need to be, kind of the default of what I do is shaving distance, mm. right? Trying to be closer to those cones. And that that's always, thats once I understood that, the times really started to drop, right? Now, mm. that's not true for every single situation, but nine times out of ten, the right answer through an element is probably going to be, Shaving that distance, staying close to the key cones. Right. Yeah. That's great. Yep. And then how about advice as folks are moving from intermediate to advanced? Oh, boy. Um, This is is kind of where I'm at in my journey, (laughs) I guess you could say. And it's leaning on others, right? So kind of the things that I've done in the last year or so to, to really help me out from that intermediate to advanced level is co-driving with people that are faster than me Mm -hmm. Um, and then learning from those that are faster than me so a great resource that you often hear in the autocross world is called Beyond Seat Time so um, that is a it's like a course based system for intermediate autocrossers and it goes through a lot of these concepts we talked about and then some obviously But that was written by national um, C Street driver Vivek Gull. And um, pretty much everyone that you've, pretty much everyone that's won a national trophy, or most of them have heard of it or taken the course. So those are things that I've personally done to kind of help facilitate that intermediate to advance. And what's the name of his course again? It's called Beyond Seat Time. So it's highly recommended. I forget the price of it, but it's like, It's one of those things where you just pay one time and then you have access to all the content. But Mm. they're self-teaching modules, self—you know—you you you learn at your own pace. But they go through the concepts of okay, here's you know, here's a slalom and how to tackle it, and here's why this is how you tackle it. So that's a really really good resource um, that I recommend to everyone.
0: Yeah, and I mean, guess you just can consume it on a screen.
1: Yep. Yeah, it's kind of a combination of PDFs and and um, video modules, so right. a really helpful resource. All right, so let's say somebody
0: sees you on the street corner. They say, "Chip, I heard your episode on late to grid, and I, I wanted I, I want
1: to get into autocrossing. What's the first thing you're going to tell them? I'd say just don't worry about don't worry about what you drive. Just get to an event. Um, the other thing too. It is, your first few events are nerve-wracking, and I know that's a huge barrier to a lot of people. They're just overwhelmed by the nerves and the pressure and, you know, this feeling of everybody's watching me, everybody's going to judge me, but I think what people would realize attending their first event and what I've heard is, you know, it's a welcoming community, like that. There's really no judgment out there, right? We just want people to go out and have fun and learn. You know, the nice thing about autocross is it teaches you car control. Um, so I think you know, just getting over the those first event jitters, just just show up. That's mm-hmm. really the first thing first thing to do. We're we're lucky we have so many different regions that run around here. Um, almost, <laughs> it seems like you could, you could probably go to an event. In the season, every weekend if you really wanted to, where we live. Oh, With, yeah. Within an hour and a half, two-hour drive. But,
0: but Yeah, so. absolutely. And then um, what didn't we talk about you wanted to talk about? Oh, actually, I do have a question. Uh-oh. So you talked about powerlifting. Oh boy. And I follow you on social media, so I see your garage is being transformed into this gold gym.
1: I don't know about gold gym. <laughs> <but> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
0: uh tell us a little bit more about the powerlifting. I mean, what 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 kind of what kind of stuff were you doing? Where were you traveling? How much were you lifting?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. So the pa- I did that for about Oh boy. I think my last meet was 2015. So probably 11 or 12 years I did competitive powerlifting. So powerlifting as a sport is the squat, the bench press, and the deadlift. So they add all three of those to to um, calculate your total, right? So it's a lot different. Like some of the stuff you see on TV, like at the Olympics, that's Olympic weightlifting. That's the snatch and the cleaning jerk. So very different. So I never competed in that. But um just kind of fell in with some friends back at my Clemson days that did it and trained. And I always liked that you were really competing against yourself more than anything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and, it, and it was easy to like, it was really easy to, um, to get better at. You just got to be dedicated and just continue to lift smart and listen to your body and the weights that would go up. So I think my best ever in a competition. So I used to compete at the one ninety eight weight class so it's 198 pounds and less I forget what the split is but that was about what I so I would be about 205 wet and I'd weigh in at 198 and I think my best lifts I did a 492 squat a 333 bench press and a 578 deadlift so it's right I remember it was right around this this 1400 pound total which is kind of like a a mark like yeah. We we all strive as natural powerlifters to to get to, but um but yeah. And so somehow I just kind of didn't really I don't really remember how I fell out of powerlifting, you know, probably from one of those moves that that I've done over the years between work and grad school, but um but yeah, in January, as you saw from my social media feed I've decided to revamped my home gym at the at the garage. So I'd been lifting with a very simple setup, and I was like, you know what? I'm ready to get back into this and kind of take it to the next level and get better equipment. So that's been the project. It was a couple weekends redoing the garage, but yeah. But yeah. So what's the goal with getting back into it? It's for fitness now. Yeah. Yeah. My, you know, the to be... So the, the thing with strength sports, when you're really... A lot of your progress is built on, you know, building strength and muscle mass and so forth. You hit this plateau where it's, you really have to put in some serious hours every week for very incremental gains, right? That's a, like, really advanced lever, le- level for powerlifting and any other strength sports. And it just got to the point where, like, the time that it took to get those incremental gains, it just wasn't fun anymore. Hmm. So, I'm really doing it now for fitness, you know, trying to lose some weight, but at the same time regain some of that old strength so so, my typical split, I'm doing three days a week strength training and three to four days of cardio, and the cardio could be something as simple as a bike ride or or hop on the rower for thirty minutes, so yeah, more for health reasons, yeah, I can't stop thinking three hundred and thirty three
0: pounds on the bench press
1: yeah i think that's what it was and it's very different for you know it's not this touch and go you see in the gym yeah right you would have to they were it was very strict with the judging so you'd have to unrack it and then they'd yell start and you would drop it to your chest and when they saw that it was on your chest without movement you would get a press command so the fact that you have to pause it and then press makes it so much harder than, you know, a typical touch-and-go. So that was a, I was not a very good bench. I was a, always a deadlifter. So my deadlifts in competition were always, like, upper 500s. Never hit the magical 600 mm. at a competition. One day it would be kind of nice to do that, but, but Yeah, yeah it's impressive nonetheless. Yeah, and it's something I guess a lot of people don't know about me, but, well, I guess they'll know now, but. Um, but yeah. Yeah. And then how
0: do you think fitness plays into your performance on the autocross, autocross course?
1: I don't know if it's really like a physical fitness is, is key. I think the mental thing is huge and that's with any, really with any motor sports. So one of the things I noticed right around nationals last year in September is I noticed myself not getting so worked up. Like I'm kind of famous for my heart rate just spiking while I'm in grid and, you know, just psyching myself out. But I don't know. I just kind of focused towards the end of last year. on just having more fun, not taking it so seriously and mm-hmm. calming myself down. Um, So I think the really, it's more of a mental, like if there's any carryover from the powerlifting world, it's kind of the mental game. Um, yeah. I and mean, then what else was I going to say on the, on that piece? But I mean that that is the trick with autocross. It's once you develop these car skills and once you learn how to walk a course. It's so much of it is mental, and so much of it is how can you accommodate um, the pressure? Because mm-hmm. remember, like three runs yeah. <laughs> at these national events. <laughs>
0: got to make the most of them.
1: Yeah, and you, yeah, and you got to execute on your very first one, or else you have no no chance.
0: Yeah. So before we started talking about powerlifting, I asked you, was there something we didn't talk about that you wanted to?
1: Um, nothing in particular, I I will, maybe one thing. So I will talk about one thing and that's, and it was kind of on my list of, do I want to talk about this or not for tips, but I do think driving a variety of cars can be kind of helpful Mm -hmm. you know what once you're in the autocross community and people see see you and recognize you and trust you a lot of times there's key swapping going on right so you get a chance to do uh tested a lot of different different cars and i think i think it really does teach you a lot to to bounce around right and and learn different how different cars behave right um so i do think there's some value in that but at the end of the day if you're if you're trying like for me like i need to focus on ssc at the big national events because that's what that's what my, my 2024 goal right would be so yeah but that is good advice because you know you just like the
0: other uh, fiesta that outran you, you you never know how another car drives you never know what a driver can get out of another mm-hmm. car so you may think oh well he's he's run so well because he's got this hopped up miata you hop in it and you realize oh, wow, this thing's, how does someone even drive this thing? It comes down to talent. You start to learn how a different car feels, how a driver handles a different car. I think even just hopping in the right seat. its a good point. And watching how somebody does something puts different perspectives in your mind that just help you help you along.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think you know one of the things I'm going to be helping out this year with the local region is uh, with the novice program. Mm-hmm. And that actually, that exact same concept came up uh, recently in discussing with, with some friends that have done this is, You know, one of the most powerful thing for a novice is either put them in a similar car with a good driver or get a good driver to come drive their car and show them, you know, what it's capable of. Right. And um, so, yeah, so absolutely, totally agree with that. All right, Chip. So let's say it's a year from
0: now (laughs) and I ask you, what was the biggest accomplishment from 2024? What do you hope you're
1: able to tell me? What's the big goal? I'm hoping that elusive national trophy in SSC comes to me this year. So that, if I think about the big goal for the entire season, that is the number one goal, right? Get in the trophies, preferably higher placing, right? (laughs) Like, um, but go to the big dance at Lincoln, show up in SSC, and be a contender for, you know, top 10 would be really nice. So that's the big goal. And then it would be nice to, at these national events, to, to take home a win. You know, that's been eluding me for the three years that I've done this kind of full time. So that would be, that would be just monumental to me if I could do that this season.
0: Yeah, I have a goal. It's that we figure out the technical stuff and then we have you back in a year and then we can, <laughs> we could talk about in the last, uh. Ah, you did, and all those trophies you. Got. I would
1: love that. Yeah, we can get that dual mic setup going. <laughs> exactly. Uh, how do people connect
0: and follow with you? I I know you're big on Instagram. I'll put a link in the yeah. show notes. Is that the best way?
1: Yeah, Instagram and Facebook. So either Chip Manual, last name spelled with the e at the end. Um, they can they can find me there. I think the handle csmanual86 at Instagram. Mm-hmm. So I'm well, sort of active. You know, I don't I don't really I I'm so busy between work and then the hobbies that i don't dedicate a lot of time on there but and i'm more than happy to connect with anyone and help out where i can
0: yeah you're active by posting hey it's negative 20 degrees out i just went for a bike ride
1: yeah <laughs> yeah that i think that's awesome that'll really help your mental uh fortitude you know <laughs> yeah
0: well i got one final question for you have I you ever I know what this one is <laughs> yeah have you ever been late to grid
1: almost there's a story behind it um I'm actually usually one of the first ones to grid. So, you know, at national events, they'll have two 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 grids. Uh, and usually when, when my grid spot's open, I'll pull the car around. So the car could be sitting there for an hour before you even run. At, well, the last event of the season was in Charlotte, and I was co-driving with a good friend of mine. And it was day two, and as we, uh, as I was pulling the car into the grid spot, I heard this awful clunking, like, cock, 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 cock. And, I, and I knew immediately what it was. I was like, oh, that's what there's an end link loose. There is, oh. there is, a like, it's about to fall off. I was like, hey, Jacob, I pull in the spot. Hey, Jacob, I think your sway bar needs to be uh, tightened. The end link needs to be tightened. And I, sh- and I shook the wheel, and of course, it made this awful noise. Mm. So we drove back to our paddock spot. We fixed it. I mean, we probably fixed that whole thing in two minutes like we were so fat but like as soon as i pulled back in like we were like three cars from being oh. <laughs> so but so it was i guess i have been late to grid but it was for a good reason so right yeah well, and, no, and no. in hindsight we could have taken a mechanical and in five minutes to fix it right there in grid but we just didn't have the tools yeah they were back in the paddock. Well, that's great. Chip, yeah, it was, was cre- fun.
0: Yeah, it was great having you on the podcast. I know what you shared is going to help folks along their motorsports journey, specifically with autocross, which is where so many people start. And I can't wait to keep tabs on you, watch the live action yep. from Lincoln, and uh, hopefully you'll get that trophy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks for having me, and I look forward to being back on in early 2025, and we'll talk about that top 10 win. Heck, yeah.
0: Well, I want to thank Chip for spending some time and sharing his insights on autocross, as well as telling us a little bit more about his motorsports journey. Quick shout out to Atomic Autosports, LMS EFI, and ETC Coaching. To learn more about those great organizations, be sure and check out The show notes page. The Atomic Autosports team hosted a Rolex 24 watch party yesterday, and man, it was packed. We had 35 or so people there giving shop tours, talking about our services, sitting back, relaxing, watching some great racing, and hanging with some friends. Plus, a lot of new faces showed up saying they want to get involved in grassroots racing. Love it. Great stuff. As you get ready for the season, please do one thing. Don't be late to grid.